Hi everyone and welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. I'm one of your hosts, Nicholas Lorimer, and I'm joined by the other of your hosts, Mr. Gabriel Krauser. Gabriel, how are things? Where are you? I have no idea Good. where you are. Good. I'm back home, man. Back in, uh, well, at this place I'm renting out for the month in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg. And uh, it's boiling hot in here, but there's a swimming pool outside, which uh, oh, just nice. looking at it is nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know, I know how you feel because, uh, of course, while I do live in a in a in a little ditch, so it's usually a little bit cooler in the house I'm at. Um, I do have to go under a blanket to record properly, which means that I am very much in a close, warm space. So if I start flipping out, that's why. Okay, yeah, I I know exactly where Nicholas's address is in the bunker of freedom. So if he passes out from his stroke during this podcast, I will uh, I'll know where to send the ambulance. Very good, very good. Right, so what's been going on? An endless litany of chaos and disappointment. Um, but apart from that, pretty normal, I think, as far especially as far as twenty twenty goes. Uh, and yeah, dude, this week has been textbook twenty twenty. You uh, you went off with the rest of our colleagues to Senegal. Um, I stayed in Joburg, uh, mostly because my Afrikaans isn't very good. And so I was not particularly keen on standing around being very confused in the hot sun for a couple of hours in Senegal. So why don't you tell me and our listeners about what went down there? So let's start at the beginning. Why were you guys all there? So Brendan Horner, Brendan Horner is a, a farm worker who was murdered um, in, in around Senegal a couple of weeks ago. And a couple of arrests were made in his regard. And there was uh, an incident a week ago where some anti-farm murder protesters uh, were very upset and basically tried to break into the magistrate's court to get hold of the suspects and do some uh, vigilante uh, reprisals. And they were were thwarted. And uh, two of them have now been arrested. Um, but as a result, the bail hearing on Friday uh, became a sort of a pinch point where on the one side you had uh, anti-farm murder protesters show up to say, we, uh, we stand against uh, what happened here. Um, we, we were outraged by the murder of Brendan Horner and we want to see swift justice. Uh, through the due process of the law, I would say it was the general feeling, although there were some exceptions to that. Some revanchists were on that side. And on the other side, you had uh, the EFF uh, come in with maybe 2,500 people bust in to... What was their to, uh, official reason for being there? It was to protect public property. Is that what they said that they were there to, for? To protect state infrastructure. So there's something tremendously ironic about that because the only... Uh, public property that was damaged on Friday in Sianakal were uh, sort of three or four concrete rubbish bins. You know those big concrete bins on the side of the street on the pavement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so they were before, yeah. pulled over, broken up into pieces to kind of uh, make the road difficult to drive over, uh, and that was done by EFF supporters. Um, and they so trashed a street sign too, didn't they? They did a Sianakal street sign. Yeah. So it's an ironic. It's a sort of I suppose it's a very postmodern way of protecting uh, public uh, infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, it's taken there's the deconstructionism this, literally. Yes, there's this theory that if there is no public infrastructure, then 
then it's all safe. I mean, that is logically true. If there's no state infrastructure, then you can't break it. So uh, it's it's a little bit like um, Flight of the Concords, this New Zealand uh, comedy duo. They sing songs that are sort of parodies. Uh, they've got one about robots taking over the world. And the robots kill all the humans. The song is called The Humans Are Dead. But they also kill all the elephants. And they say, you know, unfortunately, all the elephants are dead. But on the, on the, on the happy side, there is no more inhumane treatment of elephants. So that is a kind oh, of uh, ethos of, of protectionism that the, the EFF was so definitely all right. We've got a big group of people who are rather upset with farm murders, ranging from uh, moderates to not so moderate characters. And we've got a big bunch of people who are nasty racial socialist Marxists who are, uh, who at times, as you have seen, uh, actually are kind of keen on farm murders. So this one would expect would be a recipe for a total bloodbath of epic proportions. Um, but such right. a thing did not happen. So tell us why that didn't happen. Correct. Okay. So I think that I'll, I think the most important factor, the factor that bears the most weight, is the police. Uh, so they did a few really smart things. Most of them, uh, most of what was really brilliant about what the police did was was from a planning point of view. So they blockaded the town. They searched firearms. Anyone coming in, going out, they searched for firearms um, to sort of make the town itself uh, a relative safe space. And then they used barbed wire to partition the town into quadrants. So there was an EFF section, there was an ANC Youth League section, there was an anti-farm murder protest section, and then there was the courthouse itself. And they all had buffer zones between them. So there was no two zones that were just divided by barbed wire. There was always a few blocks or a church or you know some, some big ob obstacle in between. And I think that the combination of those two things made it the case that if any altercation was going to occur – it would be pretty obvious who was causing the fight. So, for example, the only, only yes, the only skirmish that did occur was by the Wimpy on the High Street, Fortrecker Road, uh, only way out of town on that side. And that was right by the anti-farm murder protest zone. It was on their border, and it was four blocks away from the EFF border. So it is pretty, you know, so there's just no way to pretend that what happened is the, is the anti-farm murder protesters uh, were provoking the EFF guys, and uh, and as a result, they were defending themselves. Um, just geographically, the, you know, there's no way around it. What happened is the EFF went to go look for trouble, but because of that, um, and because there can be no guns, I think they sort of they 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 made it harder for anyone to get away with things. Now, I must make it clear: the police didn't do an absolutely stellar job. So, for example, I drove through the the patrol um, pullover station four times. And was only really properly searched once. And even on that first occasion, they searched my boots, the boots of the car, very thoroughly. Uh, there were camera bags in there, sound bags. They opened every little subsection of the bag, pulled out the stuff to check that there was no gun. It felt like they were doing a really good job. And I was glad for that. You know what it means sitting and waiting, but I was very glad for that. Uh, but then they said, you can go now. And they didn't search the back seat at all. And it's not like there was nothing on the back oh. seat. <laughs> Well, okay, you know what? So I have conflicting feelings about this. Uh, part of it is I'm really, really happy that the cops seem to still have some capacity to do this. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm kind of annoyed now because if they can do this, then what the hell are they doing most of the time? Exactly, Nick. So the big lesson to learn from the cops 
is that they can actually take an incendiary situation and put enough command and control to deflate it. And the same story is true from the anti-farm murder protest side. Here's a tremendous irony. I go to the to the little anti-farm murder. So there was the big uh, uh, tent convening point set up by AfriForum. And they deliberately set themselves even further away from the town than the closest they could be because they did not want to be confrontational. They did not want to be getting in anyone's face. They did not want to be getting bad publicity. They wanted to come and host some uh, Dominies praying and some, you know, uh, they had some uh, Khoisan guys there in in nothing but a leopard skin and 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 preachers of all all, all colors. And they uh, and they also hosted. Uh, I mean, th their platform was used by the Institute of Race Relations to launch uh, the Save South Africa uh, Rural Safety Plan. Save yeah, rural save South our, Africa plan. Save rural South Africa. That's it. Which is very pragmatic and it's very good. And I'm, you know, I'm glad we got a, a chance to speak somewhere. Unfortunately, Helen Zilla looked for a stage, and she couldn't find one anywhere. But anyway, that's as it may be. So the closer place was obviously always going to be the more touch and go one. Because uh, these are the guys that are that are coming as close to cynical to to the courthouse as they can be, and uh, and there I heard uh, when I arrived uh, there, there was people praying, singing the Lord's prayer in Afrikaans. It was very beautiful. Everyone on their knees. White preacher got up and prayed. Everyone followed in prayer. Black preacher got up and prayed. Everyone followed up in prayer, and it was it was very peaceful. And then there was this guy in chains being interviewed by Carte Blanche who had made a WhatsApp video that had been doing the rounds beforehand, who was against farm murders, but also I, there was something um, incomplete about his message, something mm -hmm. I couldn't quite make sense of some contradictions, but I won't get into that, because uh, I was distracted by um, a colored man. His first name is Alvain. I can't remember his surname just now, but he was on the back of the bucky addressing the crowd, and he came with a very different yeah. message. He said, I came from the, from, from the Western Cape. I came from Otua inside. And uh, I came to Senegal to, to, to let the EFF guys know that uh, if they want to support farm murders, they are not going to find themselves unopposed. I wanted to come to Senegal to oppose the EFF guys. Mm. And everyone cheered. And he said, but this is not Senegal, pointing down. He said, this is on the border of Senegal. Senegal is there by the courthouse, five blocks that way. And then he got some more cheers, not from all of the crowd, but there were a handful of people here and there who were sort of excited at this prospect of like, oh, yeah, let's go get in there and go to proper Senegal and blixem them. And actually, if we stay here, we're, we're sort of being a little bit cowardly. Yeah. And, uh, and he kept up this message of basically trying to stoke, um, trying to stoke something. Everyone to go cause trouble. Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, this is very interesting because right off the bat – I thought this is such a teachable moment for for the Institute of Race Relations. I mean, not that we don't already know this, but it's so nice to be reminded. One of the things that distinguishes us is we punt non-racialism, which I consider to be a radically centrist position. It's like a very obvious um, thing to do. I really do believe the majority of South Africans are into that. Uh, anecdotally, statistical evidence, polling, all that. Yeah. It's so it's centrist, but it's radical because if you say it, you know, because it's so against uh, the grain of what's dominated this country, you know, for the past hundred years. Mm, mm, mm. So, so, so non-racialism seems like it's great, and it is great, but you know, it's not everything, Nick. Mm. Because part of the reason the crowd was so excited, I'm sure, was they're like, well, if a coloured guy is saying this, 
then it must be non-racialism. Like it's just us against the <laughs> yes. EFF, right? This is about not liking the EFF. And that is true, and that's good. It's like South Africans of all colors are against the EFF coming there to sing Kill the Boer. That is true. But that doesn't mean whatever you say next is okay. Like saying, let's go there and beat them up. That's... Yeah, you can be a violent non-racialist, I suppose. <laughs> and, that's, and it's a very rare thing to see. And is, I don't want I don't want to say it outright well, yeah. that he was a violent non-racist, but he was definitely leaning that way. You, you, and you know what's you know what's a, a, a very common form of violent non-racialism is religious violence. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, we can be Catholics, black, white, blue, green, whatever. Like, but you know, we just got to go. But the real, the yeah, the real. And we're all going to come together to kill the people who don't agree with our religion. <laughs> so, so it is like a refreshing. It is a refreshing reminder of that dubious fact. And mm -hmm. I asked him, and when he came down, I did an interview with him to try and figure out more about where he comes from. And he says, no, he comes from the Western Cape. He says he represents the Aboriginal People's Movement or Council or something. He's the mm -hmm. chairman. And so I said, what are you about? And he's like, well, we're against farm murders. We're against murders in the Cape Flats. He's trying to help stop that. That's great. Also, great. Um, but then he said, also, we think that all of the land in the Western Cape, the Eastern Cape, and the Northern Cape has to be returned to the Khoisan. Oh, so, so, okay. So, you know, this is something that is, this go of a tangent and I've been too lazy and too distracted and other good and not good reasons. But I, so a lot of people on our side of things have been kind of keen on the idea of Cape secessionism, right? Yeah. Um, we've heard a lot about it. And I, th you know, it's, it's a pretty attractive idea. Like, I don't think, um, we can all imagine a free, independent Western Cape that that is governed by the rule of law and liberal principles. That's pretty awesome to live in. Yeah. And yet, uh, there are problems, and one of them, I think, is that this this brand of I don't know what we would call it, Khoisan nationalism, coloured nationalism, something like that. Yeah. Is it's 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 a real force that does kind of lurk on the periphery of the political uh, situation. And if we went through something traumatic like a nasty separation from the rest of the country, if the, well, I, when I say we, I mean you know people in the Western Cape or people on board yeah. with the idea of the Western Cape secession. Um, the chances are that a group like this would become empowered, and maybe even the dominant force in South Africa or in the Western Cape would not be. Uh, it's not impossible. And a cape governed by this sort of, you know, Khoisan nationalism, color nationalism, whatever, would be no better than South Africa as it's currently governed. Yeah. It would be just as rubbish because it's the same ideas, just repackaged. Got a yeah. different different yeah. bow and, and covering on it, but it's exactly the same stuff. It's all uh, nation above all else, uh, socialism. Uh, these are the things that come together with, like, kind of racial nationalism. Yeah, it's a very late apartheid problem. In late apartheid, right. I think one of the biggest problems looking back is that people thought apartheid is so terrible, anything will be better. And <laughs> that is just naive. Um, you know, you really want to have a, a solution. You don't want to just define yourself by being against something. You want to have a, a proper plan and a proper target. Uh, and yeah, and yeah, I mean, we agree. It's equality before and, the law. It's classical liberalism. We did. We did have. I think, I think a lot of the country was sort of broadly on board with that in '94. But then, uh, you know, unfortunately, the ANC, or at least a large chunk of the ANC, was not. And uh, yeah, yeah, we and know. so and 
history history has the rest of it. But so to, just to get back to Sienna So, I mean, yeah. I do think that there was something tremendously ironic about that experience and about the fact that um, some people who asked not to be named who were close on the ground were very worried that some of the agent's provocateurs were actually kind of state resources who'd yeah, been who deployed inside the commandos, inside the Budamach commandos to try and cause trouble. And there was a very ironic and sad experience that I had on the way out. We went to Paul Rue, all of us, uh, our colleagues, mm-hmm. the the next town, and we had lunch there at the only bar. And uh, Paul Rue is a very sweet little town. You know, I went to a little thrift store there and bought myself a pair of swimming trunks for the summer that's coming, and it cost me about 12 rand or something absurd for a very nice pair of pants. Um, and uh, anyway, at the bar, sat down, and yeah, dude, small town South Africa, hey, it's an interesting place. There's <laughs> like... You know, there's like black people and white people sitting at the bar, hanging out, uh, chatting away. I sit down next to a guy who I think is dating the bar tender because they keep calling each other lovey. And he's there with his son uh, talking about stuff. I ask him, how are you feeling? He's uh, he's not a farmer. He's a construction worker. So he's pretty grim because there has been very little construction work happening in Port. Yeah, yeah. I think it's been a long time since anything has been built. And I asked him about the protests and the farm murders and all that. And he was very, very upset and frustrated about, you know, about the fact in particular that that the the reason Brendan Mahorna was killed, according to the best available evidence, is that he'd interrupted a stock theft. Mm. And one and of the crucial the factors, rumors- which is, well, no, the the, no, yeah. no, 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 it's not rumors. I've spoken to people close to the investigation and report uh, under under its editor, uh, uh, Voldemar Palsa, has reported that uh, there's there's proper evidence showing that there's a police officer at Sienekal Station who has been involved in stock theft. Oh, and so one of the big question marks one of the things that south africans have to realize is that this is not a country we've been talking about this on this podcast for a long time this is not a country what is it we haven't said what it is this is a loosely organized state of terror right (laughs) run by criminal syndicates and the way that you can tell is that a stock thief everyone keeps asking why would they kill him like that why would they kill him like that one thing that you have to consider is that when you are part of the mob then you, you don't just kill people because you don't want to get caught. You kill people that catch you. Sorry, not because you don't want to be caught, but because once being caught, you don't want to be arrested or whatever. You kill people because you've got higher-ups that you are even more afraid of than mm. the consequences of the law, the consequences of killing someone. And if it's true, there, there is evidence out there. I'm not saying it's decisive. I'm not saying it's conclusive. But there is evidence out there. And I have spoken to a source close to the investigation. He says it's very credible evidence. And and reporters, uh, uh, I think, uh, a newspaper really to be taken seriously. Oh, it, is, it is still South Africa's, what, South Africa's top newspaper. Is that a fair assessment? Correct. Mm. Uh, anyway, so so let's say you're a stock thief. Let's say you know, you're working with a policeman. Now you've been caught by a guy who's not just a herd boy, so to speak who you think if you beat him up and I've, I've got to dealt with a similar, very similar case uh, elsewhere where, 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 where uh, black farm workers catch stock thieves and then they, they bring the stock back and then later on that weekend in the Shabin they get beaten up. And then it doesn't go anywhere because it's not a big enough issue for the newspapers to report on it. The, yeah. the, the, the black farm worker... Complicit or lazy... 
And the black farm worker doesn't have a smartphone to record anything. There's no hard yeah, evidence. So it's got no evidence. Mm. The chances of, of a legal team privately being hired to pursue the case are lamentably low. So you think you can get away with it. But here comes a white farm worker with a with a with an iPhone and or you know, with a smartphone and with presumably like uh, some some cloud behind him uh, for right and wrong reasons. Uh, but that just is the way it is. Your worry is not just going to jail for a month or a year for stock theft. It's also that if you get caught and then put in jail and then the state says, you know, we've got this evidence that actually you've been working with a police chief, you could turn state's witness and uh, give us, not a police chief, but a, but a, but a police officer, you could turn state's witness yeah. against him and then we'll reconsider your sentencing. Do you want to be sitting in jail and weighing <laughs> up the chances of your survival rate under uh, those no, circumstances? Maybe not. So I'm not saying for sure that that's what happened here, but it looks like it's what happened here. I also heard reports that uh, it looks like Horner might have even been able to make a citizen's arrest, and it, and it might have been while driving. That uh, oh, there's apparently there's CCTV big... footage of him driving with uh, uh, several suspects in the vehicle, and he was strangled by a cord. So it might be that they had a cord in the pocket, and while he's driving, he is strangled oh, from behind, yeah. Yeah. and then taken to the pole to be tied up, to send a message, listen, don't come after us. Because don't mess we with us or we'll kill you, yeah. Mm. And then, of course, the next allegation is they go to the bar and they brag about doing this. And then uh, one of their girlfriends comes and says, no, you couldn't have been at the bar because uh, we were drinking and we had a fight. And uh, Anyway. Uh, and then says, no, but he wasn't actually with me all night. I passed out. I don't know. Anyway, so the point is that uh, terror is an important thing to consider because it's very important to understand that one of the reasons that people do bad things, including escalating violence, including staying quiet and not uh, reporting to the police what's actually going on, including supporting a political party that is singing Kill the Boer, even if you don't really believe it, is that you are terrorized. And some of the EFF mm -hmm. people that I spoke to seemed to me like they were a combination of slightly drunk and slightly terrorized. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh yeah. Now, look, I've I've had bricks and stuff thrown at me by uh, EFF and Kasatu and ANC type people, and they always seem to be in that state of slightly confused, slightly terrified, slightly drunk. Mm. So that is, that, I think that's increasingly. I mean, rural South Africa is not a country. It's a terror. It's a loosely organised terrorist oh, chaos state run by a criminal syndicate. But so. Part oh, one criminal syndicate, I, lots of little criminal syndicates. Exactly, competing mafiosos. So, so part of the reason that I bring this up is because I think that so, – so it's important just to note about this bar in Paul Rue where we were sitting down and everything was quite sweet. And the guys were starting to get frustrated, but they said, you know, we probably shouldn't talk about this too much because, you know, these things have ended peacefully today and we must just hope that the investigation continues and, and that justice is served. And mm. I thought – you know, ah, there's the discipline, just at a very small level. Even that discipline of holding yourself back from saying what he obviously thought was going to be like an unchristian thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and later in the conversation, he was I was given the context to 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 make that claim. But then comes along uh, a, a woman and a man from Diparel, from Paul, I assume, uh, Western Cape side, come a long way. And they were at the bar shouting, oh, my God, what a disappointing day. We really wanted to go beat some people up. Um, and then there we were <laughs> at, at this bucky that I was talking about, the closest gathering. And some guys were praying. And oh, and then some guys were saying, let's go into Senegal. And we were getting all excited. 
and then other guys were saying, no, 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 Freda, Freda, peace, peace. Who the hell wants peace? Uh, but it made people afraid when they started talking about peace. So then we didn't go. And then the guy was like, yeah, I really wanted to book some, some people. And I said, what would that have achieved? And he said, it would, I wanted to teach someone a lesson. So he, that, he went to <laughs> yeah. sleep that night feeling bitter at the fact that there was no blood on the streets. Yeah. And what, What's that ancient ancient philosopher or someone, I can't remember exactly who it was, but it was some, I think, ancient Greek who said, war, war is sweet to those who have never tasted it. Um, mm. And even to some who I suppose have tasted it. But I suspect mm. that someone living in power probably doesn't quite grasp the, uh, hasn't entirely thought through perhaps exactly what it would look like if you start going down that road. And it's or not, maybe he has. I mean, maybe he's imagined what that day would look like, and it might look well, like look, a no very one starts a fight. Brawl. Yeah, yeah, no one, no one starts a, a fight though that they don't think they can win. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I just think people, people underestimate how awful these, how awful things can get. But so, so, so I start. You, you, you started with the question: Why was there no blood on the streets? And my first answer was the police. And I think they deserve the most credit. Not that they did a perfect job, but and it, and the other thing about their job that was imperfect is the the EFF broke stuff, uh, and there's no arrests have been made, no charges have been laid. I made a phone call earlier today, and that's, <laughs> that's and that's just and that's, that's really irritating. If there were police all over, and a week ago the guys who burned on a police van, now two of them are sitting in jail. One of them has been denied bail. You know, it's just an uneven. Those guys should have been arrested. You burn on a police van. I paid for that. You paid for that. All of us who pay taxes yeah, pay exactly. for that. You mustn't do that. Go to jail. Uh, and also, if you break the concrete rubbish bin, you must you must get arrested. This is not. It's just not uh, confusing. Well, it's, it's not like esoteric. Thought, You're not to allowed to break the, our stuff. It's our stuff. You can't break it. The the picture the picture that was the most yuckety uh, the most interesting to me was um that one of Julius sitting inside the courthouse next to Becky Glele having a lovely chat yucking it up. And I think, you know, that really just summarizes it all for me. You know, he goes outside, denounces the ANC government, denounces the whites. He's flying off the handle with all this racial rhetoric and how the police are so soft. And then he goes into the building and he sits down with his comrade, basically, in the uh, other party. And they yuck it up about how, I don't know, whatever, whatever they were me, talking about. Presumably, he was there to protect state infrastructure while it was being broken out, down outside. Yeah, exactly. Supporters. It's all And it's meanwhile, all such a they were connected. There were connections of the Horner family that couldn't get into the court because it full. And I've got a yeah. picture of Floyd not guarding the door, but just sort of standing in the door because the court was full. And it's just, yeah, I mean, there's, there is something farcical about it. There's something hilarious about it. Yeah, um, this, guy, this guy doesn't even buy all of his own rubbish. He's just poison. He's just self-interested poison in like a, in such a ridiculously like I, I, I see it as a ridiculously transparent way and it just frustrates me every time I see someone who's fallen for him. So one Julius of the ridiculous is, things is they went there to to defend state infrastructure but then they broke it. Another is that they went there to oppose racism but also to say how they hate white people. So it's yeah, like the there's two things you need to know about me. I hate white people. Also, I hate racists. Yeah. So how do you square that circle? Well, they're like Nelson Mandela was a racist and everyone who's involved in Cadessa is a racist. Because if you let white people retain property rights, that's racist. Mm. And I think it's just worth underlining also, that. But also, also that is crazy. Myth. But it is also a very normal. That is critical race theory in its essence. Yeah. Critical race theory yeah. has it that you are racist if you don't hate white people. So they, they also <laughs> went there to you know oppose apartheid's. Uh, sorry, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, suck up 
soft apartheid government that hates black people and then Julius goes into the courthouse and chills with uh yeah, and, yeah I mean yeah. <laughs> come on, no, come dude, on. it's absurd it's absurd beginning to end but I want to yeah. give the EFF credit for something but first I want to give the so why was there no blood on the streets partly the police even though they were a little bit incompetent they did their jobs partly the by and large partly the the anti-farm murder protest side and it was black white and colored uh mm-hmm. notwithstanding uh, uh mr aboriginal council um because they did because there were people there spoiling for a fight and there were just more people there who were more in control mm-hmm. who stopped that from happening so the, the think- key phrase that i heard the night before and on the day was command and control like there are people there that are angry that that are feeling sadistic and the question is are they going to be unleashed or are they going to be held in? And they were held in. And the same, Nicholas, I've got to say this, the same is true of the EFF. If yeah, Julius Malama... on TV, they had a lot of uh, marshals and stuff to control their people. Absolutely. And they must get credited for this. And I've got mm. a personal anecdote about that, which was um, the EFF rally kind of disbanded at around 10 o'clock in the morning, at which stage it was already in the 30s, 30 degrees heat on the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, Malema said, you know, stay here. We're not going to play music. You must sing for yourself. And uh, this is your town. Go wherever you want. I'm going to court. So then he and Floyd went into the court to, I don't know, defend state infrastructure while sharing jokes <laughs> with Becky Tele. And uh, in the meanwhile, most people uh, left the street that they were gathered on, Van Riebeek Street, which obviously irked them. Uh, but mainly it was the sunshine, to seek out some shade. So I went to a quiet, shady street to try and ask some of the EFF's reporters. I could tell at that point that um, that things were looking good. I yeah. had spoken the previous night with police, with it, with uh, with uh, people from all kinds of political spectrums who were very worried about blood being shed, and it was looking very good. So I wanted to file a report uh, saying provisionally things look good. Uh, because I could see I was with a media tent outside the court up and down and I could see that they were trying to sell the story that this is as crazy as it can be. You know, one bottle's thrown out of a back of a bus and they're like, oh, we're about to all die. So I was like, hold on. You know, it is true. It's a bit scary, but like so far it really is looking good. But let me go and see if I can find a quote from an EFF supporter. So I asked two guys, guys, uh, I'm a journalist. Uh, I just want to know how's, how, how's the day going for you today? And they said, oh, you're a journalist. We can't talk to you. Go talk to those guys. So then I go to five guys. How are you doing? They say, no, 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 we can't talk. Go talk to those guys. So there's a crowd of about 40 people. So I go to them and I say, hey, guys, how are you doing? They smile. I smile. I'm very nice. Relaxing in the shade. How's the day going for you? Uh, What do you mean? Uh, I'm a journalist. I just want to know how's the day going for you. Why are you asking us? Go and ask those people. Who are those people? Your people. Who are your people? Your family. Those whites over there. Go talk to those whites. You are a white. Go talk to those whites. I said, oh, guys, I'm I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, uh, I want to know how everyone's doing. And they said, go talk to a journalist. I said, I can't talk to a journalist to find out how you're doing. I, I must ask you how you're doing. And they said, no, go send a black journalist to talk to us. We don't want to talk to you. And I'd, I, in a, in a situation like that, I never take a step backwards. Um. Mm. But I do try, you know, my interest is in is in finding out how they're doing. So I am asking. Well, you're getting a, something of an answer from their answer there. Yeah. So I'm trying to keep them talking, trying to trying to trying to keep it friendly because you, it's very hard to get more information than just they're angry without keeping it friendly. 
so you know like oh guys it's hot eh? but it's nice here in the shade oh, uh. anyway as I try and keep the conversation going, three or four guys start peeling through the crowd that's now half encircled me and start getting in my face and start pointing their fingers at me and telling me to go back. And I started, you know, like in the back of my mind registering that we are very close to the police station, but I haven't seen any police that in this block, there are about a hundred EFF supporters and me, and that is it. And that is completely mm. shaded. It's a short little block. It's dead ends on both sides, so there's no line of sight. So I started thinking, so you know, if someone if someone were to throw a punch, like I know how fights work because I've been attacked a few times. Like I'm probably okay if I hold my feet. Um, but if I do lose my feet, then that's not ideal. No. And and so then when you make that equation, like, you know, I can't really hold my feet against if like eight men come for me, then there's no chance I'm yeah, going to hold you my don't, Yeah, you haven't got a hope in hell. Uh, I start making the calculations. Sure, am I going to turn around and run? And then I was like, oh, God, I've got to – no, I don't I'm, – I'm here to ask a question. I'm just going to stand my ground and keep asking nicely and, and see if I can deflate these guys. Mm. And then stepped in some EFF marshals to keep the peace. And mm, the most interesting thing about this, in a way, was that the guys who were getting in my face had shabby shoes, bloodshot eyes. They looked very thin. They, you know, they looked like guys well, living a, on the I bones of the arse. Yeah. And the EFF marshals who came in, the big heavies, were a bit younger, in their 30s, new leather shoes, new leather jackets, nice <laughs> button-down shirts. Uh I'd seen them. I saw one of them earlier with a nice, big, nice smartphone. The you know, so was going well for some people. Yeah, and those were the guys who came in to say, and sternly to say, "Don't touch this man. You can't mm. touch this man. You've heard. We've we've said you can't touch this man." And then to me to say, "Please, we're asking you nicely to step back because you're not going to get any more information here." Uh, Interesting. That is an interesting thing, and I'm saying this, okay, you know, I'm saying this because it's true, and you must tell the truth and seek truth from facts. And here's the truth that I seek from those facts, and it's the same thing, by the way. Then I was locked inside Senegal. I wanted to go to the tent uh, by the IRR to go and have a debrief with my colleagues who had just done the thing, launched the program, and see if I could bump into one or two people that I wanted to speak to there. But I couldn't get out because I got in my car and drove – and the EFF had then blockaded the only road out for, by the Wimpy and was sort of getting in the face. And there were a couple of bottles thrown. No one was really hurt. They toppled someone on a bike and they broke the um, the whatnots, the concrete bins to sort of kind of make the road impossible briefly. And yeah. so there were like 800 EFF guys there and I couldn't get through. So I went back to the police. I said, is there any other way out of the town? They said, no. I said, what should I do? They said, just relax. These guys, it's too hot there. And besides, the leader is going to come back and he'll call them back. He's coming back in, in in half an hour. Just wait. He'll call them back and then they'll go there and then it'll be okay. And if they don't, then we'll get involved. In the meantime, there's nothing we can do for you. So I waited and I've, I quickly filed my report or started writing my report that I filed after they went back. Yeah. To say, because once they went back from there, it was clear to me that this was going to be a good day. Um, and they did go back. And I saw who was holding them back. And partly it was the police, partly it was the worry about getting beaten up by dudes on the other side, but partly it was their own marshals pulling the back. And they stayed there 
didn't didn't go forward and they actually retreated when the speakers turned on back at the EFF main stage five blocks away in their actual own zone and the and, and people were chanting please come back please come back it's time for the leader to appear he has to make a speech come back and then people did go back and then the road was cleared and then some dudes came out on horses the first person I saw to come through was oddly enough Sikhle Ngobesi our colleague uh, which was <laughs> a great delight and then the next people I saw coming through were three people on horseback one of whom had an institute of race relations uh, flyer in his breast pocket <laughs> Which was hilarious. And then, and then after that, yeah, just like walking peacefully, like no guns, just like, hey, we're in, a, we're in this town walking on our horses. It's like kind of hilarious. And they went straight to the police to say hi. And they said hi some to the EFF guys. They're being very friendly. And then I saw Amy Clare, our young colleague, and, and, and Sholin, uh, another young colleague, handing out flyers and trying to, to EFF people, sort of having conversations about free market capitalism <laughs> and really trying stuff. to convert... Oh man, I loved it. It it really moved me actually. At one point, because I'd been I realized I was a bit wi- tightly wound at that stage when I saw them doing that after a half an hour, I just I was moved because um, it just kept at it. But anyway, the point is that the EFF deserves credit for playing its role. For Floyd Chivambu and Julius Malema saying you must be disciplined. For those head honchos being out there to to keep their own forces at bay, uh, in concert with the police and with the and with the guys on the other side. And here's why this matters. Even if you don't like the EFF, you must give them credit for for being part of what kept the peace. Because sometimes the peace isn't kept. Sometimes the commander-in-chief says attack yeah, and exactly. then stores are petrol-bombed and, and burnt. Or says invade land and then thousands of hectares are invaded and people get hurt. So you don't you can't have it both ways. If you think the EFF is just a completely... A loosely organized mob with no accountability, no hierarchy, no chain of command. It's oh, no, just come as may. <laughs> then you then you can't hold Malema accountable for for when he says attack and then an attack happens. I think if you want to be serious about holding Malema and company responsible for bad things that happen when they do happen, then it must be by acknowledging that yes, one or two bins were broken. And that's not great, but that by and large, the EFF leadership, and yes, the leadership said kill the Boer, you know, uh, was allowing people to sing kill the Boer, and they said white people are terrible, and they and they said there are no such thing as farm killings of white people in this country right outside a courthouse that is trying a case about a white farmer who's been killed. I mean, they, it's not like they weren't being incendiary. I completely agree they were being incendiary. But at the same time, they were holding their forces back. There, there was a level of command and control, and that is the precondition of... Uh, holding the leadership properly responsible, and so I right. think that is one of the that little it's, vignette. It's, it's one of yeah, It's one of the basic things of 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 political of politics is that parties that do the right thing should be rewarded for it, and parties that don't do the right thing should be punished for it. Um, and so, and the same party if, if you just paint with, when it does the bad thing and right. rewarded when it does the good thing. And yeah. if you just paint with a really broad brush, and this is actually where I sometimes have a disagreement with our colleague Susley, um is he likes to talk about how politicians are all corrupt and rubbish and that kind of thing. And he does sometimes specify, but sometimes his language is a bit loose on this. And I think that that's actually the wrong approach. You need to say, this politician did a good thing, and therefore we must reward them. And this politician did a bad thing, and therefore we must punish them. Electorally, rhetorically, whatever. Um, and exactly the same with the EFF. When the EFF holds its people back, if the EFF never trashed another story again, it would be an extremely good thing for South Africa. Yeah, and I would give them credit for that. Even if they continued yeah. being race betting idiots i would say well at least they're not violent race betting idiots and if a non-racialist is calling for violence then i've got to say you know here's a non-racialist who agrees with my 
values and i think the values of most decent people in this country most people in this country but uh on one regard but not on another so we've got to be right. dude we've got to keep our wits about us this is no right. time this is a time this to no remain time sober and judicious rhetorically lazy and painting with brushes and making rough generalizations and that kind of thing yeah. we don't have that luxury because uh the temperature is too high to play okay, games on the note, on the note of 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 farce before we get too sober and judicious. Dude, there were just some things that are hilarious about this. So one of them is the <laughs> anti-youth league. It's just, its presence was hilarious. Because I tried asking people, what are you doing now? <laughs> Dude, I have no idea what the anti- Like, Cicle did a great job of asking EFF people, what are you doing here? And they're like, I don't know, man. There's some racism. I heard I'd get a free t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to go. Like, who's being racist? I don't know. I assume it's white people. Like... Okay, um, but the NC Youth League, I mean, they only had like 100, 200 people there, so they didn't have the numbers. They weren't just standing, st defending state infrastructure. Well, I'm, su I'm surprised they, they, they showed up at all, but the NC Youth they, League they weren't healthy. But there were two signs that gave a signal of what they were all about. One was a guy who said, had a sign drawn on cardboard that said, Khan Australia, Okay. go Charming. Australia. Charming. Which our colleague Michael Morris wrote a piece about today in the Daily Friend. And it is, and his shirt says Sacco says this or that. And the says has an apostrophe of it. So it's misspelt on a shirt that's been printed. It's just, it is like, it is comedic. This poor guy's message is like, he's like, you know, two guys are being tried for killing another guy. Uh, how can I make the situation better? Well, I can just about afford to borrow someone's cokey and write Khan Australia on it and wait for the first <laughs> white guy that I see and show him. He was so eager to show me that sign and for me to take a picture of it. He was so <laughs> eager. And then the next guy, about three <laughs> meters away from him, was wearing a cape that must have cost a few thousand rand, like a banner printed on that like uh, slick plastic uh, with yeah, yeah, Ace yeah. Makhashule's face on it. And it said, Ace Premier, we love you, Ace number one. And I was trying to take photos of him, but he was a little bit loose. So I shouted at him and I said, hey man, Ace Cape. And I wanted to buy it because it was my friend's birthday. And I thought that'd be a brilliant present. Like, I don't know if he's just been given that thing. I'll give him 200 Rand right there to, to give my friend a That's lovely, really ironic nice. birthday present. Dude, and he turned around and he looks at me over the shoulder with these like, like, I don't know if it's resentment or bedroom eyes or I don't know what's going on <laughs> in that guy's look. life. But it's a mysterious look. And it's a mysterious thing to do, to be like, you know, Ismachashuli. I need to go punt him outside the courthouse that's trying these two guys for murder. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and those yeah. aren't the only funny things. Another funny thing is like, as soon as my story went out, my, my report saying so far, so good, because I really did think that uh, the yeah. worst was averted by midday because it was just so hot that like uh, people were dispersing. It's too hot they, for fighting, yes. <laughs> yeah. And because there was just enough command and control. So the sunshine, the four factors, police, the 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 anti farm murder protester side, the EFF side, and the sunshine—they all helped to keep the peace, and uh, and that was fantastic. So then this this farmer that I met uh, in very rural KZN a year or two ago, dealing with a case there, he he said he saw my piece, and then he sent me uh, a video. Uh, he said just to remind you what real racism looks like, because he saw something about Jan van Riebeck. And it's a it's a 15 second video of a little chicken chiclet dropped into a coop with a bunch of other chiclets. But this one is much littler and yellow, and all the other chiclets are a bit bigger and black. And the caption is like uh, Jan van Riebeek. 
and the little yellow chiclet runs around and tries to like say hi to the big chiclets and then they all run away from it. And it is just like the absurd racism of animals. <laughs> and I think the message he was trying to say was like, you know, have we evolved? I think he was trying to ask me the question like, are we one step above, not even a chicken, but like a baby chicken? Have we evolved beyond the baby chicken yet or or, or, or not? And I and and it's a it's an absurd little thing to see, and uh, I liked it. And then the even better one that I saw yesterday on the Liberal Club list, uh, sent by one of our colleagues in Cape Town, uh, was of Julius Malema. Uh, he did like a clap your hands thing with the crowd towards <laughs> yes, the this end. Is very good. <laughs> and then they someone figured out that it was exactly the same tempo as a song by I assume Steve Hofmeyer saying, you know, sing with all your heart, sing as if your life can fit in a box. We're all going to catch a train to Bloemfontein. And if you can't catch a train, then why not ride a bicycle? It's like very esoteric lyrics about something I don't quite understand. But it's like a very upbeat, very happy, yeah. happy song. And they just have that song and then an the image of Julius Malema clapping his hands on stage <laughs> and then the whole audience. And it, it does. I have seen that video. It does sync up beautifully. And it's so, it's funny and it's just, you know, I think it spoke to the sense that I had that I, that when I got back to Joburg and, and I, I, I went to see some friends, everyone was like, oh man, I heard Senegal so hectic, how are things there? Like, I think for people who were actually there, aside from the guys who went there for a fight and didn't get it, mm. I think for most people, there was this fear, this very credible fear and a lot of prayers and a lot of plans to stop blood being shed the next day. And then it wasn't. And then it's a little bit like, it's kind of funny. It's There's something funny about almost dying and not dying. And, yeah, no, I, know, and, I know exactly what you mean. I, I must say there's, there's a point I want to make here, which is that I think a lot of sort of moderate groups were a little bit on the fence about whether to go or not because they thought, ah, oh, you know, this is going to be uh, white racists and black racists and they're all going to show up together and they're going to have a big old fight with each other. Um and there was that fear, I think, and it's just going to be ugly and it's going to taint anyone who's there. But I think based on what you're saying here is that the moderate people showing up really, they they were check on the more, shall we say, excitable. Uh, exactly. And in, in as, overt as result, and subtle ways. There's also exactly. just a subtle thing about when you see someone, especially that first place that I went to. You could see the rabble rousers didn't kneel when the other guys were kneeling and singing uh, the Lord's Prayer. Yes. And even if they're not saying, hey, I don't want you to be violent, just to see that example of people next to them. And that guy with Dare to Love, who I saw a little bit like my colleagues going out and hugging EFF guys, you know, just that setting of an example. And some of them were doing it in very, I think, courageous ways like that. And others were doing it in... Like that guy going out and hugging EFF people, that's more courageous. And other guys were doing it in more subtle ways, just just, yes. just taking a knee and singing a prayer. And and that's great. Huge, huge indictment on organized agriculture. Agri-SA, nowhere to be seen. Agbers, nowhere <laughs> to be seen. Grain-SA, yeah, well. nowhere to be seen. I think that's that's a flippin' nightmare. Uh, very glad. I must say, about yeah, how yeah. they, yeah, they, they are not always farmers' best friends many times. Yeah. I was very glad. Sai... You know, the only person who predicted what had happened uh, was was the was the head of SAI, which is the smallest, youngest agricultural union that is uh, is trying to fill the vacuum that that AgriSA is leaving. Mm. Uh, Theo, he said, um, 
the night before he was asked, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? He said, well, I see three scenarios. You institute people are into scenarios, so let me tell you the scenarios. Scenario one, blood on the streets, and then it really does ratchet things up towards the wall. Not immediately, but it, it gets that escalation tit-for-tat game going. That uh, That's not good. Yeah, um, yeah. The other outcome is that the seeds of a genuine unite-the-middle classical liberal kind of future uh, emerge. Future that gets planted there. The shoots, and the shoots sprout out of the earth, and we begin to really see what what the future might be like. I mean, it's all yeah. good and all, yeah. And the third scenario is that uh, the pot doesn't pop; it just continues to simmer. The mm. issue doesn't really go away, but it doesn't really explode. And this is what, in my mind, I call the Bafana Bafana solution after Clem Santos and Aria Planner, who sort of had high load, low road, and then. The Bafana Bafana, where you sort of you just lose more and more games, but you don't ever lose mm. so badly that the team stops existing. But that's that's been the South back. African pattern for a very long time. Is uh, yeah. what's the Jan Smuts quote that that we are very fond of? South Africa is a country where the best never happens and the worst never happens. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and he and he said, given our history, I think that one is the most likely. If you're going to push me for mm. the most likely, but maybe more useful is to look at the scenarios and try to see which one do you want. How do you bring it about? And oh, did very nice, very nice to to speak to a considered person uh, with that kind of sober analysis. Uh, but I do think so. I do think uh, if you want to ask me, why do I think that we hit that third scenario rather than the second one? Given 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 the hilarity, given the fact that the EFF. I don't. I don't think anyone who watched the news was impressed by the EFF. And and in a way, the news. I want to say that the news is even biased against the EFF. There's been this thing where, uh, sort of socialist race based, you know, race based socialists, um, were overly sympathetic towards the EFF. Yes. And in some sense, still are. Like the fact that his speech was was uh, his 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 hatred vent was aired in its entirety on a series of mainstream uh, stations rather than just putting a little clip of him saying there are no such thing as farm killings, which is really all you need to know about what he said. Yeah. Uh, is That's an indictment. But for the most part, if you look at the coverage, News 24 said, you know, even by Malema standards, this was an extremely incendiary and, uh, uh, and you know, speech <laughs> empty of ideas. You know, there, there's like a lot of I haven't read anyone say, listen, we have to give the EFF some credit for, for, for their exercise in command and control. Because I think that the mainstream media from Richard Poplack, who was once the EFF's best friend and 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 a subsequent, you know, Daily Richard, Maverick Richard, charismatic writer Richard, who's gone Richard against Richard Poplack's a guy, he, he really loves to be someone who, he smells the zeitgeist about what's good to support. But then the moment anything becomes even slightly difficult to support, he just kind of goes into this ironic, sneering, sarcastic detachment. And just pour scorn on anyone for possibly thinking anything ever. He's yeah. I hate him a lot. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> we, 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 we speak of hate with the tongue in our cheek. Yeah. No, but uh, you're, you, yes. dude, you're right. They, 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 he, he, no, I don't want a, to punch him, but I do think he's a rather uh, unpleasant fellow. Yeah, and he's done damage to this country. But but yes. so the point is that the fashionistas of the EFF is no longer hip. The guys that are the most keen on the EFF right now are either people who've invested themselves so heavily in it that they can't get out of it. So they're still wearing Uggs even after the fashion's passed. <laughs> or they're guys who are so far behind the times, uh, you know, that they that shoelaces are a privilege to them. And they <laughs> and they and they still haven't caught up with VBS and they still haven't caught up with Bosasa, like like that news of EFF corruption sort of pulling money out of old Gogo's 
handbags, it's still yet to reach them. So the FF is in yes. this weird twilight zone um, in that regard. Where it's that, neither cool that, or uncool. It's just kind of there. So, so it's still not getting fairly covered. It hasn't been getting fairly covered. It's still not getting fairly covered. Uh, and that's and that it's a it's a it's another great irony. But I think I think the real reason that it's important to emphasize that uh, this was not a great success, even though I'm very proud of the institute launching its rural safety plan. There, I'm very very proud of South Africans, from the police to the citizens that were on the ground, who were peace loving for putting peace before some short term idea of revenge. Some emotional, um, yeah, outburst. Yeah. I'm, I'm it, it 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 I'm very glad for that. But the mm. reason and and it's inspiring and, and it can be a message. You know, Newcastle was a message. That Newcastle farmer protest that we went to, there were three thousand people there, effectively the same number of people there, and all of them were peaceful. It was entirely across creed, class, and color, and everyone had the right mm. message. It was a beautiful inspiration and it hit one news cycle and then it was dropped like a lead balloon because it's too good for race <laughs> merchants to carry it. But here yeah, came exactly. a story that the rage merchants had to sit on. They had, had to be in all the Sunday papers. It had to be in all the Saturday papers. It's going to have to be in talk radio all week. And, of course, people will find ways of, of twisting the story. But ultimately, the fact that they can't get around is that here was an opportunity for a minor little race war, and it was averted. We walked back from the brink. So that is a good news tale, and I'm not undermining that, and I'm not undermining the fact that within that sort of raw, tilled earth, that that earth that's been scratched apart by these harsh feelings, some seeds were planted, and they are being watered by by excellent colleagues. Seedler's got 100,000 views on on what he's done and and, and that's up very to 20, impressive. subscribers on youtube uh, and you should subscribe it's big daddy liberty on youtube yeah. yeah check it out and 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 herman's uh, uh, contribution excellent 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 but at the mm. same time I, I i cannot say that i think we escaped that bafana bafana scenario because even though i think we scored some goals i think the biggest goal is still being scored by the police themselves who have still not made an arrest in regards yeah. to either the third known suspect or to the known the, the evidentially known police uh, operative in the syndicate the fact that the thing was the bail hearing was delayed to move to Bloemfontein is kind of okay but there was something very irritating about the way the process weren't at the court uh, they said, media, we don't want you coming in there. Why? Because the state's prosecutor had said, we want to pull in a witness to cross-examine to explain why we don't think these guys should be offered bail. And we don't want their faces to be uh, shown on the media. So we don't want live recordings. And we also don't want the faces of ourselves as prosecuting authorities to be shown because we live in these <laughs> communities. And we don't yeah, see. And the magistrate said, fair enough. And then, mm -hmm. the, and then the media outside, 24 people complaining. Oh, it's so frustrating. And then... Oddly enough, someone said that if the SABC wants to do a live interview on this, who wants to speak? Then no one, everyone is so frustrated and so full of noise, then no one wanted to say anything. So I put up my hand. I said, I'll talk. And then I said to that guy, this is frustrating. We came here yesterday. Other people have come here early in the morning. And it's frustrating to us because we came here in part to get inside the court. And now we can't do that. It's also frustrating for the public who wants to see images. And now they are not going to get it. But the thing that matters most is getting reliable information to the public, and that can still be done through the prosecuting authority spokesperson, through the court spokesperson, and through reliable reporters that are inside. It's hearsay, but there's you know there's hearsay, hearsay that comes with credibility. All reporting, in a sense, is hearsay. Mm -hmm. And the other most important thing 
is respecting the judicial process, is is ensuring that justice can be passed, that it's not going to be frustrated. And if that result, if that means that you have to protect the visual representation of the witness that needs to be cross-examined or the prosecuting authority who needs to pursue the case and keep working on it, then so be it. Anyway, the media kept protesting and then they were sort of let in again. And then after they let in again, the prosecuting authority said, no, we don't want to do this. And so then they pulled it out and then they said, we're going to go to Bloemfontein because we think we can manage the process there. It's very weak. It's retarded in this uh, uh, Latin Italian sense of slow. It's delaying justice. And that all makes me very worried because, you know, as much as I want to see the guys who literally garroted uh, Brendan Horner to sit in Chucky, I also want to see the mob boss that they were under. Whoever it was, maybe it wasn't that cop. Maybe it was someone else running the syndicate. But no one goes and steals forty oh, yeah, having, having the, the bag two men. million rand without having a destination to take those hot goods. Yeah, exactly. That's gonna that's if, gonna work. If, if just you if have just to get those men, guys. If just the bag men go down and not the big mafioso boss, then you know we're not really fixing anything here. Then this is Bafana Bafana. It's not good news. It's not the worst case scenario, but it is Bafana Bafana. And that is the and the real essence of this thing. The, the media circus, the up, up, umpty dumpty. If other people had been killed or other people had been seriously injured, then that would have been the main story. But my point is the main story must revert to the actual investigation of the case because that is mm. the murder in question. And right now it's very unsatisfying. And if I can just add one small thing, very good news. Mm. In Newcastle, where I've been and we've spoken about, uh, the Rafferty double murder uh, uh, on Friday. So Siabonga Matku, Siabonga Goodman Matku had been arrested a while back and had confessed to being involved in the murder. And I was there for his hear for his bail hearing. He said, I don't want bail. I don't want to get out. I think for the very good reason that he probably would have been Because he's going to get whacked, yeah. By his co-conspirators. Um, and before... The court case, it was a very small version of what happened today, uh, uh, what happened to, on Friday on Cynical. Not covered very much, but a little bit. SABC was there. E! News was there. But it was the same thing. One group of protesters, anti-farm murder, singing Kosi Sikileli, uh, singing along, be, just being like, guys, we don't want bail for, for, for confessed murderers, which I think is, I think that's a pretty civilized position. Uh mm. And then afterwards, EFF guys led by Lucky Shabalala singing Down with the Boer. I said, why are you here? We're here in solidarity with the black child. Is he a bongo the Michael with the black child? Yes, he is. We're here in solidarity with him. So in that case, Michael was the only arrestee, and I was very worried, and I and I stayed in Newcastle because I was starting to get very worried. Why is this investigation? You've got one But guy. no one else is going to do it on, yeah. Why have you got no one else? And... I spoke to some people and I found out what was going on and it was getting very worrying, but we decided to hold off. And then on Friday, while I was in Sienna five more arrests were made. Excellent. Uh, two, two named suspects. And uh, one was then arrested and then released and then re-arrested, which is sort of hilarious. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, like no, that in sounds, half an hour. That sounds very South Africa. Because <laughs> they found new evidence. But anyway, the point is that uh, that 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 justice is is moving slowly, but it's moving there. But the thing is, the thing about the overall system is like if you don't pursue it quickly, maybe one time you're going to get lucky because, because the crooks are so dwarf that they stay put. But you but you're not always going to be so lucky, and then you're just leaving murderers out in the field to to bite right. the apple again. So that is the most important thing about Cynical, and no one's talking about it. You need to get those guys in hand. I've read Saturday Star, Citizen, Sunday Times, like. The, that that issue is is not being emphasized in the way that I think it ought to be, uh, because 
for black, white, Indian, colored South Africans, like if you're if you believe you live in a in a loosely organized terrorist state, state of terror, because because you don't think you're always safe, uh, because because crooks are getting away with it, then that's the issue that really bites. Like yeah. murderers have to be caught. They have to be arrested. They have to be trialed. They have to be given a fair defense. And if, uh, uh, you know, if the evidence stacks up, they have to be put in jail. And uh, right now that's not happening in Senegal. And that's the most important thing. And so yeah. from a personal perspective, there's this, the, the most hilarious irony in a way is that I nearly died in Senegal and so did my colleague Alex and so did my colleague Herman and so did my colleague uh, uh, Amy Claire. But it wasn't in Senegal. It was in the highway on the way to Senegal. There was a fire that burnt on a farm all the way to the highway and it created a smoke screen. And I even asked Alex to take out the camera and take a photo of it because I was like, you know, this like road going into smog. You don't know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's great, very poetic. <laughs> great metaphor. As soon as you got into the smoke, we're driving. The fire's soaked on the road. It's like burning onto the tar. I'm feeling the heat. And I looked forward. So I've slowed down from 120 to about 60, I suppose. I didn't want to go too slowly because I didn't want to get rear-ended by anyone. I see the looming shadow of a truck. And so I slowed down a bit. And I realized this thing is not going, you know, I thought if I'd see a truck, maybe it's going at 40 or 20. And, and I'll slow down. Dude, it's not moving at all. So I screech the tires. Luckily, I stop in about four meters or three, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Screech to a halt about a third of a meter away from the edge of where this a uh, new BMW had plowed into the back of this truck. Oof. And we were either the, so everything was stationary and there were no lights on. So we were either the first or the second guys on the scene. And then behind me is Hadamon and he has to screech his tires to stop too. And then he, I pull to the right, he pulls to the left and then comes in screeching an Audi that sort of just bumps in, into the truck. It screeches so hard. So we could have been rear-ended into the things. It could have been a very ugly situation. Mm. Uh, but we all ended peacefully. And by the way, the BMW driver, I saw him outside and the airbag had saved them. So no one was hurt. But that is the most, that's, that's the closest that I, that, that was our closest brush to death, was this very banal thing of just driving around in a country that sets itself on fire every <laughs> late, late, late winter and spring in an uncontrolled fashion. And that is, and I think there is something true about that story. It's like, you know, Senegal was, was made to be a symbol of insecurity in this country. And the ideologies that push against it and push for it and and get in the way of getting real real law and order and peace uh, going. But insofar as it's a symbol, you know, it uh, it it has that sort of representational quality that like even whatever happens there is not really immediately changing what's going on in your life. And if you're a little bit afraid of being hijacked or home invaded or your 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 beach house being broken into or your farm being invaded or if you're a rural South African and you sweat at night because uh, you know that there are guys out there who who okay. do hits and, and rape okay, and you, nothing, you know yeah. then then that hasn't changed yet and and the only way to change that is to put the fear of prison at the very least these guys, into the, yeah, the justice system the working for the police to do their jobs that's the only thing um, that changes yeah 100% uh, so yeah, it sounds like it was a day where uh, the bad guys looked like they might score a goal, and the goalkeepers of freedom and reconciliation blocked it. So, I think that's pretty good news. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah, and well done, well done to you guys also for going there and uh, and doing some good stuff. Um, 
because I think the IRR's presence was pr- probably at least a contributing factor to the the aura of calm that descended upon the place. As we all know, everyone knows we are the, the paragons of calm. <laughs> well, I do think there is something. I do. I do think we helped a little bit. Um, for sure, think, no, for uh, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I, I, I'm not joking. I do think that the, the IRR being there was definitely a contributor to things being good. Um, as was all these other groups that went there and then uh, uh, exercised restraint. Because yeah. um, I, I think I think my theory is that the EFF was sending its people there to basically, uh, they were going to sing, kill the poor, they were going to do some stuff, and then they were going to wait for their people to get shot. Um, but that didn't happen. Yeah. So that's, that's very good. I think, yeah, you know, I don't think it's too cynical to say that that would have been in Malema that's, and Floyd Chavambu's estimation the best possible outcome that's how the people's war works i don't i don't see anything that those guys have ever done that makes me believe they actually care about their supporters no not at all so for one of their supporters to be killed in a way that's going to win them a month's news cycle and uh, and a year's talking point yeah i don't think they i think they'd be very delighted and it is perverse it's it's a it's yeah it's harsh but it's i think that's true and it was averted and that's very good so now that we are are finished with the tale of Senegal, uh, do you have any recommendations for this week? Yeah, I wonder. I suppose um, there's a podcast conversation that I listened to this morning between um, Coleman Hughes, who we've discussed. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Young, brilliant writer from America, and Niall Ferguson, who is one of my favorite sort of uh, historians, and he's at the Hoover Institute, which I think is a very interesting place to follow in America. Sort of doing a lot of, one of the interesting f- stuff right now. Yeah. Anyway, so they've got a they've got an hour long conversation about the about Trump Biden, and it's you know it's quite slow uh, to start with, but I think that they, uh, I think they they take a scenario based approach and they sort of take a historical based approach. So it's a lot of I think what motivates motivates yours and my thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's good. It's good. It's it's refreshing to hear Americans who haven't given up on this because I am <laughs> yes. actually so sick of it. Like, oh, no, it's it, it's, it's, it's this happens. <laughs> I, I will be I will be I will be honest though. Like the Americans always go crazy before their election. I mean, I remember twenty twelve also was like everyone was just kind of fatigued by the end. Um, and this one even more so because it's been such a fatiguing year. So. I uh, I completely agree with you there. Um, what do I want to add to this? Well, I've been watching some YouTube videos by a very small channel called Call Me Ezekiel. Um, but one of his videos is how to take down a monopoly using the free market. And it's not really about that. It's actually about, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The standard oil monopoly um, and the history of how it was taken down by its competitors. This is in the beginning of the 20th century, late 19th century. And it's just a really interesting tale. And it's told with like cute little animations as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I guess that's really all I have. I've been watching also World War II lectures and things, but I haven't found anything as exciting as the one last week. Uh, I watched that one last week that Nicholas posted. It is Oh, and what do you think? Stella. It mm. is stellar, man. It is so... Uh, yeah, it is very sobering, hey? Yeah, yeah, it the, is. The analysis of, I, I think part of what's, what's exciting, particularly about um, na- uh, Air Force warfare, is that there's this 
there's this sense we have that when people get truly violent, it's it, you know it's all emotion. There's yes. a lot of strategy and there's a lot of building and there's a lot of betting. Yeah, yeah. And some and bets pay off. German bets on the German bets on you know, jets, uh, but it comes off too late. And and mm. and the sort of British strategy versus the American strategy, it's very it's very so, sobering to listen the to technical a science man of war, yeah. analyze the technical signs of killing human beings. It mm. gives a it it felt very heavy to me, but then afterwards I felt like a different way of thinking about how valuable life is, which was uh, yeah. startling actually. No. I, I agree completely. Um, so if you didn't check that out, check it out again. I think it's called American Air Power in, in World War uh, II. Um, I also wrote, if you're, you know, I assume if you are listening to this podcast, you at least have some sort of interest in American politics because we talk about it quite a lot. I'm a, I wrote a thing called The South African Guide to the U.S. Election 2020. It doesn't talk about the issues and stuff because that's, <laughs> there's a lot of people talking about that. It just is basically some of the electoral mechanics as far as I can work out. Um so I'm gonna plug myself there because I can. Anyway, oh wait, can I, can I say one <laughs> oh, yeah. last thing about the American election? I, uh, a friend said to me something yesterday that I thought was very brilliant. So, so Nick and I's position, unless you've changed it, is that uh, Biden is more likely to win than yeah. Trump at this stage. I think 65, 35, maybe. I think actually 70, 30. Yeah, uh, I put him 75, 70, 30, 25. Yeah. 70 that's those numbers don't add up nick 75 25 70 30 you can't say 75 30 what yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you get my point <laughs> okay three quarters to one quarter or two thirds to one third something yeah. like that so i spoke to a friend who, who sort of agrees but he said he, he asked me what do i think would tip it to give trump that so trump could still win uh but it's just it's just not as likely right now on my reading but he said, mm. what would make it like you think Trump is definitely going to win? And I scratched my beard and I couldn't think. And then he said, I'll tell you. If Biden gets coronavirus tomorrow. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> then Trump is definitely winning. He was like, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I, I don't want to wish harm on anyone. But if I was in the Trump campaign, I'd be sending hankies infected with coronavirus sure. to the Biden office in the hopes that one of them gets through because it would so explode the narrative that is holding him up right now. And the thing about that insight that I find brilliant, it's not that Biden would die, you know, he's good doctors, he'd be taken care of, we figured out how to deal with this for the most part. It's just that it would pop this narrative of like, if you've got it, it shows you're reckless. If you haven't got it, it shows you right. you're a virtuous person. And it would make and him look at least... There is something so amazingly mad about the fact, and I think it is a fact, that that is what would change the election. Like that's how you know that this election has gone and detached itself from what really matters about who's right. the more viable candidate. Right. So, yeah, I recommend I mean, you just consider to, to, that. <laughs> to quote uh, to quote Homer Simpson, when are people going to learn democracy doesn't work? Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we will catch you on the next one. Uh, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Grrr, 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 grrr.